My name is Mary. I'm from the fishing village of Migdal on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Because of my hometown, people have nicknamed me Mary Magdalene. But Magdalene isn't really my last name, just like Christ isn't really Jesus' last name. Now, first of all, let's get one thing straight. I am not, nor have I ever been, a prostitute. My reputation has been sullied down through the centuries, thanks in large part to Pope Gregory, who in 591 preached that I was a reformed sinner, a woman turned to chastity by Jesus. Now, he made some mistakes in his biblical interpretation. He conflated my story with the story of the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, and with the story of Mary of Bethany. Now, that Mary is my friend, but she's not me. Now, to some extent, I can't blame him. In my area, at the time, 25% of women were named Miriam. There were a lot of Marys. Why do I bother to clear up my profession? It's not because I'm embarrassed to be associated with women trafficked or forced into sex work. Jesus came to free and heal the abused and the oppressed, and he welcomed all to follow him. Now, I just cleared up because too many people have treated this as the most important thing about me, and it's not. The most important thing about me is that I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I can see that you too are his students. You have the look of the ones who've been with him. Oh, and while we're clearing things up, I also am not Jesus's wife. As close as Jesus and I are, we're just friends. So that's a little bit about who I'm not, but let me tell you who I am. I'm a wealthy businesswoman from a bustling fishing village. I'm an industrious, hard-working woman of valor, an eshet chayil. My wise investments have afforded me freedom and considerable means. But in spite of my success, I was very ill. The gospel writers report that I was possessed by seven evil spirits. People have speculated that means I had a seizure disorder or mental illness or was severely traumatized. However you understand my struggle, the point is that Jesus healed me. I was living in impenetrable darkness and he entered into that darkness with me and he pulled me out. He resurrected me. And so I've dedicated the rest of my life to following him and supporting him out of my own means. I and other wealthy women have funded the teaching, traveling, and healing ministry of Jesus. Women like Joanna. Oh, you may know her better as Junia, another female apostle. We traveled with Jesus as his seminary students along the countryside of Galilee. And I had this unique viewpoint on the life and teachings of Jesus being with him throughout that Galilean ministry. But I also had an extra advantage that the boys didn't have. You see, when we saw Jesus heal someone, they just saw it. But I had experienced it. When we watched him do a miracle for someone else, I remembered how it felt, and I had this rush of empathy for their suffering. 
and this joy at their freedom and salvation. I knew how it felt. Wounded healers often make the best ministers. Jesus broke with social norms to include us as his disciples, as women. It was scandalous for him to travel around the countryside with women in his company. Co-ed education just wasn't done at my time. We are often left out of the narrative, but we were there. Alongside a mathetes, a male disciple, I am a mathetria, a female disciple. Like Tabitha in Joppa or Mary in Bethany, sitting at his feet in the place of an official learner. So Jesus taught us these lessons and these principles, he modeled ministry for us, and then he sent us out to actually do it. So one time, 72 of us went out together in pairs, and we went out to practice the work that we saw him do and to, to preach about the coming of God's kingdom. So Joanna and I went together, and afterwards when we came back to join Jesus and the other students, we were bursting to tell everything that we had seen. The first house we visited, the family welcomed us to stay as long as we liked, and their auntie who lived next door was sick with a fever and a cough. So we went and we laid hands on her like we saw Jesus do, and we prayed for her the same way we saw Jesus do, and then we told her to get up, and she did. <laughs> she did, and the whole family came together to throw a party to celebrate and they wanted to hear more of Jesus' teachings. Now, not all of us of the 72 were welcomed in the same way. Thaddeus told us about the town that they visited um, where no one really wanted to hear about how God's kingdom was coming. Bartholomew reminded us of what Jesus had warned us that some would reject us because they were really rejecting him. Those rejections and the opposition that we faced, they made us more empathetic to what Jesus went through when people didn't want to be healed, didn't want to be freed, didn't want to listen to his message. As we shared our stories that day, Jesus' face lit up with joy. I hadn't seen that much happiness on his face in weeks because as we had moved closer and closer from Galilee to Jerusalem, he had grown quieter, more somber. He was hanging back from the group. He was withdrawing more. He wasn't even laughing at Peter's stupid jokes. But this day, he wasn't serious at all. Joy radiated around him like a cloud. And as more and more stories poured out, Jesus threw his head back and laughed. And it rumbled up from his chest and out through his beard. And he tossed his arms in the air and he looked up to the sky and he prayed, Father, look at what you've done. Thank you, it delights you to do it this way. You have given me everything, Father, and I couldn't be happier. He reached for Salome and Joanna. Look at what I gave you, friends. You were safe from any danger as you went out and made a stand against darkness. And I'm so delighted that thrills you. But the real prize isn't in your winning against evil, it's in God winning in your life. I felt like my chest would burst with the joy of it all. As time went on, we moved ever closer to Jerusalem and that heaviness settled back onto Jesus. One day we got terrible news. Our friend Martha sent a message that her little brother was very sick. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. Their home in Bethany was often our home away from home. Martha knew about Jesus' miracles and his healing power and she wanted him to come and do the same for her brother. I don't understand why he waited two days to leave for Bethany. Lazarus died because he wouldn't go and heal him. We had seen Jesus cure so many diseases and ailments. I don't know why he didn't do the same for Lazarus. The only explanation I could come up with was the danger that crouched in Jerusalem for Jesus. The leaders had threatened his life the last time we were there and Bethany was just a couple miles away from Jerusalem and maybe he was afraid that going back would be trouble for all of us. As we got closer to Bethany, Jesus went ahead on his own toward Martha's property and she hurried out to meet him and I could see her over his shoulder. Her face was like stone and she confronted him angry and loud and the wind carried their words as their argument continued. Mary ran up and joined them and, and something about Mary's tears stopped Martha. Something about her sister's tears dripping into the dust, I think, turned her rage into desolation. Mary collapsed at Jesus' feet, sobbing. And, and he dropped down too and he he wrapped his arms around her like, like the way a mother hen gathers her chicks. And then he started sobbing with her. And, and there they stood, Martha stoic and Mary and Jesus weeping. It was too much to see their grief and feel my own at the life of our young friend cut short. When Jesus eventually stood and moved toward the burial area, we trailed behind him. He faced the tomb with this mixture of sadness and anger on his face. It didn't seem directed at anyone in particular. It was as if he was angry at death itself. He told them to open the tomb and he bellowed for Lazarus, reminder, Lazarus was dead. He bellowed for Lazarus to come out and my breath left me. A shadow separated itself from the stones and moved forward and following it out of the darkness came Lazarus. We had seen miracles, but this was the most wild, unbelievable miracle of them all. Somehow Jesus had taken on the enemy of death and he won. I watched him eat. Later we went back to Bethany. They had a celebration dinner for his new life and I watched him eat bread and fish. He wasn't a ghost, he was truly alive. What did it mean that death could be defeated? 
just a week later, we finally made it into Jerusalem. We had enjoyed a meal together and we were singing as we wandered out through the city gates and down into the valley, crossing up over to the other side. When we found our campsite in the olive grove, we dropped our bags. And Jesus encouraged us to pray, warning us that we would need God's protection to save us from temptation. And I remembered his earlier warning that one among us would betray him. My skin was crawling with apprehension. He left us with our belongings and he walked further on toward a deserted part of the garden. He motioned for Peter, James, and John to accompany him. As they got further away, his posture shifted, his shoulders slumped as if he couldn't hold himself up any longer. His feet dragged on the ground. I sat on the rocks and I leaned back against a twisted olive tree trunk. But my eyes went to the gap in the bushes where Jesus had disappeared. The temperature was dropping now that the sun had gone down behind the hill and he had left his bag just there with Andrew so he must not have his cloak with him. I tried to pray, but the thought of Jesus cold and miserable moved me. I went to his sack and I dug through it. I found his coat. I shook the breadcrumbs out and folded it over my arms. And I went to go find him. I could hear him speaking to John and the other two in a strained voice. The struggle is crushing me to death. Pray with me, please. I need your companionship. The three of them sat down to pray as Jesus walked further on. I skirted the edges of the hedgerow to keep him in sight. I was about to step out of the shadows to hand him his cloak when he dropped to the ground. So I stopped. He began speaking, his words so choked I couldn't make them out. He was repeating a phrase over and over and I finally realized he was chanting, Abba, Abba, Abba. His groans were guttural. Then he spoke louder and a little more clearly. Abba, anything and everything is possible for you. I've seen it again and again. Please let the coming hour pass me by. He buried his face in his arms and his words were lost in the underbrush. I stood silent in the darkness and I waited. Jesus prayed louder, the sound crackling at the edges when his words became a wail. Abba, please don't make me drink this cup. His hands were shaking and the tremor started moving up his arms. He grabbed stones in his fists. If you're willing, save me from this suffering. A sob caught in his throat. But if there's no other way, you know I'm going to do the right thing. I'll do what you want, I will, I'm begging you, please, there must be another way. And he lay there trembling and moaning. Eventually he drew himself up again and went back to the men, but oh my heart, when I saw them there sleeping. Their heads were down on their arms, which were wrapped around their legs to keep them warm. Jesus just touched James on the shoulder, desperation in his eyes, and James looked up, remorseful, silent, and sorry, and Jesus went back to be alone again. He cast himself out on the ground, and his voice when he prayed this time was hoarse 
Abba, take this cup, please, I can't drink it. But if you won't, I'll do your will. His prayers intensified until he was babbling. Now his whole body was trembling and the sweat was pouring down and the tracks shone on his face and neck in the moonlight. My hands shook, even wrapped up in Jesus' coat. I had never, not ever in our time together, seen him desperate like this. Suddenly he stilled. His tight muscles loosened and he took a loud breath. He stood and he walked back toward the men and called to them, waking them again. Get up, enough sleep. My betrayer is on his way. Jesus pointed. And I looked down the hill into the valley and I saw the line of torches coming from Jerusalem. When he was captured, we scattered. We were terrified. We knew what the Romans were capable of. We hid. But when word came that he was being tortured, when we knew that he could be crucified, I couldn't stay away. No matter the risk, I couldn't let my teacher, my friend, die alone. So the women and I, we went to the execution place. No one was allowed very near, so we stood at a distance. And I don't know if he could see us, but I hope he knew that he wasn't alone. I had heard what happened at other crucifixions of slaves and rebels. Those watching couldn't even cry or mourn at risk of being crucified themselves. So we watched with stony faces as we clutched each other as we watched him die. We couldn't reach him and we couldn't stop it and we couldn't do anything about it, but we could be there. We could hear his screams and we could see his blood pouring out. We watched until it was over. We watched as Joseph negotiated for his body. We followed at a distance to the tomb where Joseph took him. And with our hearts shattered, we went home. And now here I sit in darkness on Friday night. It is so dark. I haven't been in this dark place since Jesus freed me, since he saved me. He had brought so much light into my life I never thought I'd be here again. But this time, I will not give into it. I will not. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. But I'm determined to wait right here. As the wise man Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. After all I've seen, I'm willing to stake my life on the hope that something will happen. All my life, I believed that death was the end, that death was final. But if it isn't, if it isn't, anything is possible.
So I will sit here in the darkness waiting to see what God will do. And if you're here with me in the darkness on Friday night and you're waiting for God to do something for you, if you are waiting for God to resurrect a broken heart, a broken relationship, a broken body, a broken faith, and you don't have enough hope, then let me give you some of mine. Let me sit with you here in the darkness on Friday, waiting. 